welcome to another edition of the Baker Clinic Podcast. My name is Femi Cole. I'm your host today. Broken heart syndrome is on the rise in the U.S. It's a condition bearing a name that invokes images of a romantic comedy rather than the unique medical condition that it truly is. I'm here with Dr. Francis Wolf, a cardiologist with Aurora Baker Cardiology, to discuss broken heart syndrome, who it affects, how it can be avoided or managed, and much more. Doctor, thank you for talking with us today. Well, Jimmy, it's, it's my pleasure. Great. Uh, doctor, let's just dive right in. What is broken heart syndrome? Well, as it implies, um, it's related to um, an effect on the heart. The, where, where the broken heart comes from, let me sort of back into this and say that mm-hmm. um, broken heart syndrome refers to an acute deterioration of cardiac function. And where the broken heart syndrome comes from is that it initially was recognized and still is recognized in people that have lost a loved one who they've been very close to, and they subsequently then develop um, and wind up in the healthcare system because they have an acute uh, problem with their heart, which is defined as the broken heart syndrome, and we'll talk more about that. But the the reason that it's thought to develop is an acute, very dramatic increase in adrenaline compounds in the body, which in certain people can be very deleterious to heart function. So in summary, broken heart syndrome comes from the fact that this entity was first recognized in people commonly following the death of a loved one, a husband, a wife, child in the family. So therefore, someone who had a broken heart would present themselves then with this acute problem relative to their heart function. Okay. Well, in October of uh, 2021, the Journal of the American Heart Association published a study that spotlighted the increase in broken heart syndrome in the United States. Is that something that should concern us? Um, It has to obviously concern us in the sense that it's important that we recognize that it's on the rise and that we are alert to making the diagnosis correctly. Obviously, I think when you look at the pandemic and things that are going on in the world and in our own country, politically and otherwise, those are all great stresses and they can affect different people in different ways. So when you consider all of these things, it's not surprising at all that the incidence of this syndrome is on the rise. Wow. Okay. Great information. Um, Well, how common or how rare uh, is broken heart syndrome? It's actually become quite common. I would say in an average month, I probably see two or three cases or come across two or three patients in whom I've been asked to consult, and this is the problem that they are presented with. Oh, wow. And that, and that was actually my next question. <laughs> you know, have you diagnosed patients with broken heart syndrome within your practice? And, and you have. That's, that's pretty amazing. So uh, on that note, how do you diagnose broken heart syndrome? You look for people who are presenting with shortness of breath, chest discomfort, tired, tiredness, fatigue, not feeling correctly. Um, And you start to look at things. You draw certain proteins, which can be elevated, similar to when you're having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes EKG changes occur, but really the diagnostic tool that really defines this syndrome is an echocardiogram which shows the characteristic pattern we see 
when people have this syndrome. What the heart does is that the very tip of the heart becomes ballooned out and stops contracting, and the base of the heart continues to contract vigorously. So the heart gets this very unusual appearance to it, and one of the names that has been given to it is the apical ballooning syndrome, because that's what the heart looks like. The very tip or the apex starts to balloon out, and the base of the heart contracts quite vigorously. I mean, there are many variations on this, but that's the classic presentation. So the echocardiogram is really the primary way way that this uh, entity is diagnosed. Okay. Okay. Well, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but who is most likely to be diagnosed with this condition? It is most common in women. It's extremely rare in men, and whether this is related to perhaps women being more emotional or responsive to stresses in their life is uncertain. There also has been a a suspicion that it's more common in women that have underlying anxiety uh, disorders, which would make sense. These people who respond differently to the environment and perhaps more aggressively than most people do. So in answer to your question, it's very, very common in women, and there seems to be a tendency to... uh, it occurring in people that have an underlying anxiety disorder. Sure. Well, how challenging is it to diagnose broken heart syndrome? Because it's some of the symptoms you mentioned earlier kind of sounded like uh, COVID-19, you know, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, that's, that sort of thing. So how challenging is it to differentiate those symptoms from broken heart syndrome symptoms? That's an excellent point, and I think... Um, Many times people that have COVID-19 and get into the healthcare system, particularly if they're having significant problems with shortness of breath, wind up getting an echocardiogram. And again, it comes down to the echo differentiating those people who have COVID-19 who are having primary respiratory problems versus COVID-19 with some different types of malfunction of the heart versus those that have the classic um stress, cardiomyopathy, or broken heart syndrome. Okay. Uh, Talk a little bit about risk factors or conditions or experiences that put people at greater risk for broken heart syndrome. Well, going back to what I said earlier, it's more common in women, and it seems to be very common in people who live in high-stress situations. Mm -hmm. And although it was originally described, as I said, broken heart syndrome, and people that had suffered the loss of a a loved one, and so on. We're starting to recognize it more and more commonly in situations like a patient comes in to the hospital, they've been in an automobile accident or some sort of physical stress. In the course of their evaluation, we find that they have developed this this stress cardiomyopathy, which is another name for it, Um, or someone who has come in and has had an elective surgical procedure and postoperatively is not doing well and is evaluated, and he has the same sort of finding. So the more you look for this syndrome, the more you're going to find it. Okay. And the stresses that can precipitate it are extremely variable. Wow. Okay, interesting. So if diagnosed with broken heart syndrome, uh, how can a patient best manage the condition? There's a certain class of medications that are used whenever there's reduced pumping function of the heart 
things like uh, ACE inhibitors, lisinopril being an example. Um, beta blockers are really an important part of the treatment of this type of syndrome because, as I mentioned earlier, we think it's related to extremely high adrenaline levels, and beta blockers have the ability to protect your body and even even in particular your heart from these high levels of adrenaline. So not only are beta blockers used in the acute treatment, in many people they can be recommended long-term to try to protect the heart, bring it back toward normal, mm-hmm. and monitor people into the future. Okay. I don't think we've touched on this yet. Um, is broken heart syndrome life-threatening? It can be. There are people whose uh, progressive deterioration of heart function can result in refractory heart failure or death, and that is ex- but that is extremely uncommon. With early recognition and appropriate medical therapy, most people recover completely, fairly quickly. Many people recover with a matter of one month. Okay. Okay. Um, I read a line in a medical news report that says, and, and I'm quoting, broken heart syndrome is when figurative heartache may turn into literal heartache, end quote. So does that mean emotional heartache can, in some cases, become a serious medical condition? Exactly. That's really, that's an excellent phrase, and it really describes the entity of the broken heart syndrome, people who have become... Um, who develop severe heartache because of some acute stressor in their life, and then they turn into this heart condition, which would be the literal heartache. Sure. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the connection between the COVID-19 pandemic and the rise of broken heart syndrome? I think it's the stresses related to the acute illness. I think when people come in with COVID-19 and are in acute respiratory distress and are not doing well, mm-hmm. That is an incredible stressor, and uh, it would make sense that people in this situation would be susceptible to the development then of this type of heart malfunction due to the stress of having the COVID-19. Okay. So how can we avoid broken heart syndrome? Be calm. No, I think, <laughs> I think people who have a tendency to overreact to their environment, and again, going back to uh, the situation where people that have a tendency to high anxiety levels and, you know, react um, in a very high level to things that happen around them, mm-hmm. those, those people seem to be more susceptible to developing the broken heart syndrome. Or more appropriately, I guess, when you think that anything at all in your life as a stressor recognized or unrecognized can do it, I think probably a more appropriate clinical diagnosis or name would be stress cardiomyopathy. Okay. Okay. So if stress is a major contributing factor in broken heart syndrome risk, uh, what advice can you offer for reducing stress and improving our self-care? I think there are many, many uh, things that can be used to help manage the stress in your life. Um, Behavioral modification, doing certain types of activities like that can help you to relax and deal less adversely with things that are going on around you, yoga, many different things that we can use to manage the stress in our lives. Yeah. Well, what do you do in your life to, to manage stress? I mean, you, you have a, a job that looking at it from the outside seems like it could be uh, 
stressful some days. What, what do you do personally to manage your stress? I think you. I've learned throughout my life that it's important to define those things in your life that you have the ability to change that might be causing you stress and anything else that's causing you stress that you cannot change, you have to try to to learn to put down as effectively as possible and not let them have an adverse effect on you. Great. Thank you for that. Excellent, doctor. Well, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add or any last words of wisdom, and you've given us a lot, uh, that you'd like to share or maybe something that I didn't ask you that you want to touch on before we end our chat? Well, I think when I mentioned a little bit about the beta blockers and the treatment. Um, this condition is extremely unusual in terms of recurrence. In other words, you can have the syndrome. It's relatively rare to have a recurrence. Why that occurs, we're not entirely sure. But in some people who we think are highly susceptible, like, again, the extremely anxious individual who's had a, a tough course and so on, uh, it's sometimes best to keep them on a beta blocker or certain types of medical therapy for a prolonged period of time. As I said, there are a variety of drugs that we use acutely, beta blockers and ACE inhibitors and so on, and diuretics if they're fluid overloaded. But I think that, again, the one thing I like to emphasize is that the chance of recurrence is extremely small, and I think that can be a reassuring um, point of view in this kind of a patient. Okay, great. Well, thank you for talking with us today, Dr. Wolf. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to uh, discuss this subject, which I think is extremely interesting. And as you said, I think we're seeing more and more of it on a daily basis. Great. Uh, Dr. Francis Wolf is a cardiologist with Aurora Baycare Cardiology. He is fellowship trained in cardiovascular disease. Thank you all for listening. To learn more about Baycare Clinic or to request an appointment, visit us online at baycare.net. Subscribe now to hear more Baycare Clinic podcasts.